Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. That's right. This is an Ask How to Money episode, Joel, where we have five delightful questions to get to during this episode. Uh, We've got a listener who is asking about investing in real estate, starting with only $5. Looking forward to that. You can't Uh, even get a foot-long sandwich for that amount anymore, Matthew. You can buy anything for $5, (laughs) but you can buy real estate, evidently. Uh, Listener, he's asking about tapping into a 401k in order to pay off some debt, whether or not that's a good idea. And uh, another listener, he kind of has essentially like a frugal or cheap about currency exchange. He was abroad. He's going to share his story. I'm looking forward to that one, plus a couple others. Yeah. And by the way, if you are planning on taking any sort of international trip, you're going to want to hear the answer to that question. Oh, because nice tease. A lot of advice in there, man. Should we tease more often? Stuff like that. If we're we were better like, at our jobs. Like stick around. We're gonna... <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. Well, if you want to tune out, feel free just to go ahead and attend to your child who is maybe playing on the playground or maybe you're in the elevator at work and a coworker is trying to have a conversation with you. <laughs> you have permission to turn off the podcast. There you go. Uh, real quick, dude. Okay. So there has been a bike commuter. There's a guy in the neighborhood where we're living at our new house and And I have seen this guy bike past our house multiple times, but I am always inside the house and he goes zipping by. It's clear that he's a bike commuter. Just, I don't know. I see him regularly, like before, not not before work, but I see him in the afternoon sometimes. Uh 
And recently, a few weeks ago, we talked about just how biking, how it's the superpower, basically. It's this life hack. It's this money hack. And one of the ways that makes your life better is, I mean, it reinforces community that you already have. But I also see the reverse of that, which is that the ability to commune with other bike commuters, folks who are really into biking. But I have not been able to, like, I don't know who this guy is, right? And so he goes zipping past our house. And, you know, if I were to, like, run out there, hey, that'd be kind of weird. Wait up. I want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it would be weird. But I just want to I haven't been able to figure out who this guy is. So my question for you, do you have any suggestions as to how I can figure out who this guy is? I was thinking about maybe setting up a little stand on the side of the road saying like, I love bikes. Would you like to talk about bikes? Just so that he knows. That <laughs> You're going to proselytize the people in the neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, I can't figure out how to how to bridge this gap. Do you have any, any thoughts? Okay. Do you guys have like a Facebook group or anything like that? You could post in there. Oh, Facebook. Yeah. You're that's, like, in there. It's, that's like the obvious choice. You're like, hey, who's the uh, <laughs> who's the other first person in the neighborhood biking on the reg? Like, uh, come over to my house that, for that's true. a beer. Man, that's like that's too easy of an answer, I guess. Like, <laughs> is social media the answer to more things than I realize? You could go knock on I, every door and and finally, you know, there, there's there's not that many doors. How long would it take? Yeah, I, I guess I just want there to be like non-social media, non-digital, non-internet answers yeah. to certain problems like you this. You put a life. yard sign in your front yard that says, are you the person who bikes past my house every day? And I wish. <laughs> call this number. Is there is there like a local uh, like bite support group? Like, Ooh, like we in, need to in, find that. In town, we had Atlanta Bike Coalition. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if there's something like that around here that we could join and be a part of. That's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure. But Get one of those signs stuck out in the yard. Yeah. All right. right. Whatever it takes. Good luck meeting this person. Thanks. I Thanks. feel like, yeah, when you, when you have something in common, like, hey, we both bike a lot. There's uh, just like if, you, if you're if you a personal finance nerd, those those deeper attributes kind of about yourself sometimes sure. like can really create a nice springboard for uh, for a conversation or, or for a friendship. Yeah. And in particular, I mean, out here in the burbs, I mean, there are, I think there are fewer folks biking out here than, than when we were living in town. So we got to stick together more than ever. Yeah. I kind of yeah. want to be like, hey, l- uh, like, let's meet and then maybe we'll start a ride where we like ride into the square and like you can meet us like halfway and you can join with like some of the guys from your neighborhood and we head to the brewery. That, yeah. kind, of, that kind of thing. Okay. That, that's what I vision ultimately we can, get that going. we can start a revolution up here let's do it it's happening all right <laughs> well good luck meeting this guy let me know how it goes and uh i'm curious to know which format it takes yeah whether it's whether you're gonna go digital or whether you're gonna do facebook the, seems like the obvious choice yeah i just spend so little time on social media in particular on facebook yeah i get that i uh yeah try to limit my intake uh, i understand all right well let's move on let's get to the uh let's mention the beer we're having on this episode matt this one is by mckeller and it's called tray blood it's an imperial stout. We will give our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode. McKellar doesn't make bad beers, so I have a feeling we're going to like it. Uh, but let's let's uh, get to the topic at hand. We are answering listener questions, and if you have a question you want to submit for Matt and I to take on a future episode, we would love to hear it. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions for you to record your voice in the voice memo app on your phone, send it our way, and hopefully we can take it in a couple of weeks. But Matt, let's get to uh, the, the first question. This one is about investing in real estate with almost no money. My name is James, and I'm reaching out from St. Louis. I recently came across a TechCrunch article called Landa Can Make You a Landlord for Just $5. It's about a real estate targeted investment app called Landa that apparently takes your money, pools it with others, buys houses, and then gives you a portion of the rent. While investing apps don't have much appeal to me, this one does because landlording has long appealed to me as a strategy for generating extra income. That goal feels farther away with interest rates shooting up, making leveraging even harder. And the ability to jump right in with Landa sounds appealing, but I don't really know how to evaluate them or what they are. Is this the same idea as a real estate syndicate? And why do they invest in high-cost markets? Like I think I saw New York. You'd think the best rental markets are places with low property values but high rents. Those are typically Midwestern college towns with a significant year-round population. I'm interested in if there are other apps and how to evaluate their potential. All right, Joel, let's talk about Landa, which also kind of makes me think of Lambda, like the uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you were a member of uh, Landa Kai, the real estate buying fraternity while you're in college, weren't you? No. No. no fraternities over here. Uh, all right. Well, James, you know, like you're talking about landlording, like for five bucks, that sounds pretty great. Uh, it would definitely be nice to, to, you know, get in the real estate game without having to save up this massive down payment. Uh, 
like you said, especially given where interest rates are currently. But you know, let's talk about whether or not this makes financial sense. And you know, first you mentioned. Can I just say it's it's true. Like I think that is one of the biggest hurdles to real estate investing. Oh yeah, that's is, a lot of money. Is the that's upfront amount that people have to save up for the down payment, and so that puts it off. People are like oh, that. Well, I'm never going to get to that point. And so a lot of people say. I'm just never going to become a real estate investor. And so that is what makes some of these websites that say you can become uh, a landlord, that say you can invest in real estate for as little as five or 10 bucks. It, it's very appealing to to a lot of people because of that. Sure, totally. Because they're like, oh man, if I had it, I'd totally get into real estate. Right, exactly. Yeah. I feel like I need to clear the air as well. Like Landa Kai isn't a real uh, fraternity. <laughs> so I was just joking around. But so James- Neither he, of us were part of fraternities. So neither one of us were, yeah. no, yeah. But he mentions like, you know, some of these other players, some of these other other apps um, within the real estate space. And so let's talk about Fundrise because they are one that's been around for a while now. Uh, although, you know, I think Landa, I think they might be the only one that has a minimum as low as $5. Uh, but Fundrise, that's the main app that most folks have probably heard of. And their starter portfolios allow you to get, get started with just $10. So still very affordable. Yeah, but they, they just recently changed that, right? Wasn't it, was it a thousand bucks? It used or to be 500 a, bucks or something like that? It used to be a thousand, used to be more. So it's, um, it's quickly gone down. Fundrise is trying to compete with the land exactly. of the world. Well, and that's, and that's, I think the advantage of having some additional players within the space uh, is competition. Um, but basically, the, I mean, the, the model is that it is a real estate investment trust. Uh, and to be honest, I mean, Fundrise, it seems like a solid company uh, that, that they're doing good business. But even still, we, we, we typically don't recommend for folks to invest in real estate via Fundrise um, or, or even other apps. And that's because of the liquidity issues, uh, as well as the fees that they charge. Publicly traded REITs, which are real estate investment trusts, we think that those are just a superior option. Uh, so for instance, Vanguard, uh, they've got an ETF it is called VNQ, and they own hotels, office buildings, other real estate holdings. Uh, but because it's an ETF, that means you can easily buy and sell. Uh, and plus, the expense ratio is tiny, like virtually non-existent yeah. uh, compared to some of these other companies that only just 0.12%. So you compare that to Fundrise, where you're paying at least 1% in fees, which is you know nearly 10x more than VNQ. And so all else being equal, Yes, we often do look to the fees. We look to what it's going to cost you because uh, future results and returns, you can't guarantee those. Yeah. And so how is it that you can essentially minimize risk and you can easily do that typically by keeping your fees, your expenses at a minimum? Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Fundrise because yeah, that is kind of the most well-known of the places you can invest online. And I think, like you said, like I think Fundrise does a decent job. It's just that, yeah, there are better ways for, we would say, for people to invest in real estate if you're not ready to become a landlord by your own property, right? Right. But like investing in a real estate investment trust, like you said, Matt, or another app like Fundrise, you know, it takes virtually no money to get started. That's the same with Lando, which is the the uh, company, the app that James is asking about. And we would say that's a plus, right? It is nice to yeah. be able to get started investing with basically no money. <laughs> um, but while that is a selling point, what you know? What about the fees that they charge? What about the fees that Landa takes? Mm -hmm. And they're not so great, to be honest, because yeah. <laughs> the fees they're charging are actually pretty significant, and and that is something that we would say is a red flag. You know, one that sticks out to me is the six percent acquisition fee, Matt, that I saw on their website. Another downside is that you're going to be way less diversified, right? Then you'll be buying a publicly traded REIT because you're investing in a single property or maybe a few properties, right? That they that they have on offer. On top of that, you've got to trust that the Landa folks know how to buy properties that cash flow well like do they i don't know like i can't i can't speak to that their track record is not very long and they don't own that many properties there's just not enough data to let us know whether or not the folks at landa are good real estate investors or not and you're really just kind of hoping against hope that they're buying good properties that the numbers work and that you're able to profit because of it Exactly. Yeah. And James, you asked, you know, if this is like doing a syndication deal, it kind of is because Landa, you know, they're doing all the buying, they're doing all the managing, uh, the maintenance on these properties. But the difference between this and a syndication deal is that this just requires fewer dollars to get started. You know, like you've typically got to be an accredited investor with tens of thousands of dollars to invest in those just to be allowed in the club, basically. Yeah. Accredited investor typically means that you have a net worth of over a million dollars or you have an annual income of something like a quarter million dollars. So, you have to be kind of rich of the rich to get into the syndicated investment deals. Exactly. But unlike syndication deals, there's you know there's far less information out there for you to be able to just vet the property that you'd be investing in with Landa. Um, you know, it, it, it takes risk 
to generate returns, basically. And, and while Lambda, like they're trying to minimize a risk based on your ability to invest in small chunks, we still say that it's better, even though we're not talking about large dollars, you know, large amounts of money here. We still we, we think it's a better idea to invest within a REIT like VNQ uh, or to actually save up to buy a physical property instead. It sounds like you are pretty well versed when it comes to real estate. It sounds like you are aware of what different properties could demand when it comes to rents. And so maybe for you, it's, it is saving up that down payment. Like Joel said, like that is the biggest hurdle that keeps folks from getting into the uh, real estate investing game. But it does sound like you have an interest in it. You're, you're talking about those, those Midwestern regions uh, that should be able to, to demand higher rents. I mean, that's another They're also part. cheaper to get into. They're than, cheaper. That, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, James mentioned housing prices and investing in some of these more expensive cities. Often the numbers don't work out as well. And you got to save up a whole lot more to get some skin in the game. But in some of these Midwestern cities, like there's, there's some couples that I know out there investing in real estate, and they are buying $150,000 duplexes and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's just, it's it's more accessible for a, a lot of wannabe landlords. Exactly. And it might make sense even where he is up there in St. Louis. Sure. But I, I wonder if that's just a part of Landa. I mean, like essentially what an app like this is doing, they are catering to folks who want things to be easy. And James, it sounds like you are a little more sophisticated. And because of that, you are asking some of these questions of like, well, shouldn't we be investing over here rather than over here? Mm-hmm. You're not going to have much say, when it, <laughs> any say, when it comes to where it is that Landa is investing. But I wonder, uh, without having, you know, without diving into all of Landa's holdings, if they're naming some of these big cities, because you've heard of New York City. You've heard of some of these large <laughs> oh, areas. Oh, I know that place. Little old me in, in St. Louis can invest in, you know, apartment complexes or... Yep. In a single family house somewhere in New York. Like, yep. That's exactly. incredible. As opposed to what might turn folks off, which is hearing the name of like some small or even no name town out in the Midwest. And they're thinking, wait, my money's going to go where? And I, I think that's where like the reality of what it looks like to invest in real estate may not necessarily align with what people are thinking it involves. Yeah. Like people are thinking like Shark Tank and, you know, <laughs> like, like big and flashy New York City, all of this, as opposed to the humble approach of what it actually means to, to typically be a real estate investor. Yeah. And I get that people want skin in the game. They want to be able to have some real estate exposure. But the truth is the, the two, there are two ways that we recommend it, Matt, typically, and that is that people buy physical property, which is easier said than done, right? It's it's more difficult to save up the money and to actually get to that point where you can buy a physical duplex or triplex or something like that where you live. And the other option, the easy one, is to invest in publicly traded REITs. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of them out there. We just mentioned one from Vanguard, but you can you can do more research and find other ones that maybe make sense. They're investing in specific sectors of real estate that maybe you're interested in. Just pay attention, like like Matt mentioned, to those to the investment fees that they're charging. But you might find that that kind of scratches the itch of allowing yep, you exactly. to invest in real estate, but in a way that isn't going to fee you to death and that's going to be a little more liquid. That you can get your cash back at some point that isn't necessarily five or 10 years in the future. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, Matt, let's take more questions from How to Money listeners, including one about using a retirement account to pay off debt. Is that a good idea? Well, we'll talk about that and more right after this. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money you probably think it's too soon to join aarp right well let's take a minute to talk about it where do you see yourself in 15 years more specifically your career your health your social life What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? 
AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making (laughs) making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back from the break. And before we get to that 401k question, we've got a question about another sort of foundational piece of the financial puzzle that many folks incorporate in their lives. We've got a question here about a budget. Hey, Matt and Joel, love listening to your podcast. I'm Ashley, and I am calling from Columbia, Missouri. I'm wondering if you all could visit the topic of budgeting. Specifically, how do people categorize items in their budgets? For example, I'm curious if someone has a housing maintenance fund in their budget, what do people consider as housing maintenance? I started a fund like that in my budget after I heard you all suggest doing that a few years ago. At the time, the suggestion was to plan 1% of your housing price for house maintenance. We have used that fund for good things such as our new air conditioning. And we also throw things like our refrigerator filter, air furnace filter, gardening supplies, mulch, etc. into that budget item. I also try to get away with sneaking in my gardening stuff into the budget category but I'm shocked at how much those garden supplies actually add up to. I'm really looking forward to what you all have to say about it. Thank you so much. All right, Matt, Missouri, representing here on today's Ask How to Money episode. So All of our questions today from Missouri. (laughs) If only. That'd be great. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, let's let's tackle Ashley's questions. Like with inflation, obviously, at 40-year highs, we shouldn't be surprised, probably, that virtually all of our expenses are adding up more quickly than they used to. Not just your gardening supplies. Yes, yeah, yes. Everybody's budget feels a little pinched my, or a lot pinched. My craft beer budget has just <laughs> yes. totally gone out the window. Right? You you basically, you got to be a boomer or a Gen Xer to remember prices rising as fast as we're currently seeing them. And even some of them were little tykes when it was happening. That's true. But it's y- like you're alive while it happened, but right. maybe you don't actually, you, you aren't paying the bills. That's right. Exactly. Well. Boomers, yes. Yeah. Gen Xers now. <laughs> yeah. Some of those Gen Xers, especially the younger ones, like they're like, I was a toddler, dude. What are you talking about? But uh, yeah, you're asking about how to categorize expenses, which I think is a really helpful question. And it's not an abnormal one in the question uh, or in the realm of budgeting. But so much of this comes down to what Matt and I would say is like, it's different strokes for different folks. And so we'll, we'll offer you like our best advice. But yeah, some folks just prefer 
like an incredibly granular budget broken into dozens of categories, whereas other people prefer to keep it more simple. So much comes down to personal preference. Matt, you and I, we even did an episode, I don't know, a couple of years ago about budgeting for different kinds of personalities. Because yeah, if you talk to somebody like me about some sort of massively granular budget, I'm going to walk away annoyed because, because that's not my jam. But other people, people like you, you like kind of getting oh, more yeah. granular with it, right? I love it. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Some folks are going to be more comfortable with uh, a budget like yours, like something that feels <laughs> a little more unlabeled. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, I don't know. I'm not like digging into your personal finances, but I'm guessing you have fewer things earmarked than I do. I do. Uh, it's true. You, you probably have like just a large amount of money just sloshing around <laughs> in your checking and savings account. Uh, like that's actually how an economist might tell you to budget, right? Because an economist knows that like all money is fungible. So what difference does it make? Uh, what you actually label it. We don't need labels, man. No, this is, uh, it just goes into the giant pile of money that you have and you pay or spend out of that accordingly. On paper, that, that might be how they say they view money, but in reality, that might not be how they actually do it. Economists, uh, so much better on paper than they are in person. Yeah, because you know, like in practice, it can be really helpful to organize your cash and to you know either create like savings buckets like they've got over an ally or sinking funds, whatever it is that you want to call it, where you're stashing away small amounts of money towards a particular expense. You might even like the documentation side of things uh, if it maybe like maybe it relieves some stress in your life to know that you've got a certain amount of money earmarked for an expense coming up. Um, but just remember, it is possible to overdo it uh, if, because if you're attempting to get too specific uh, and, and where you're perfectly categorizing everything. Your budget, it might be running your life versus the other way around. You know, you might find yourself spending too much time categorizing where you're, you know, attempting to make the perfect budget. And in that case, you might be creating too much of a tedious obligation as opposed to actually getting out there and living life. I don't know if this is a good analogy, Matt, but it makes me, I feel like I've heard about people being obsessed with organization. They got to organize their closet to the max or uh -huh. they, their whole home has to be just so freaking organized like they don't right. have, they're every, the kind of people that don't every, have a junk drawer you know everything everything is in its right place Joel. yeah and so then they go to <laughs> someplace like the container store and maybe they spend more money than they should because they're so they're so particular about mm -hmm. how things are organized that maybe they spend more money on the stuff that's holding up their clothes and maybe they've actually spent on their wardrobe yeah that's, that's possible i right? like it it's possible to get to that point <laughs> and i think similar to what you're talking about it's it's possible to spend more time more effort on making a beautiful budget that you can tie in a bow and maybe it helps in practicality but you could have been doing better things with your time yeah i mean I, chances are i think for most people like the 80 20 principle totally applies here. yes like we're essentially within a small amount of time where like you're getting most of the way there and you'd mm -hmm. be spending an inordinate amount of time in order to finally craft it and have it exactly perfect yes agreed even though that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> well let's get back to ashley's question because you know what, what goes into the housing maintenance category and I, again this is kind of a personal question but at the bare minimum we should say we would say it should likely include expenses that are required to keep the house in good shape so any big repairs that might be coming down the line like a new roof or if the house needs to be painted in two years from now let's say but then, you know, you also want to make sure you're setting some, some money aside for smaller expenses that might come up, including even just the thing like an air, like air filters, right, for your HVAC. And it might be totally fine to include gardening supplies inside of this category. But I just want to make sure, you know, if I were you, Ashley, that you have enough money in that category to be able to handle the big expenses first, to make sure that you're not uh, <laughs> ripping so much out of it, eating away at that fund month after month. And then, you know, let's say, I don't know, something big comes along, you got to replace a sewer line to the street and Ouch. it's $4,500 or maybe even more. You don't have the funds to cover it. And that, that's really the situation we want you to avoid. I mean, however, totally. you categorize it, whether you break out your gardening supplies into a separate line item on the budget, I think that's okay. And if that helps you think about how much you're allowed to spend and and make sure that you, you don't pull money <laughs> towards gardening that could and probably should go other places, that might be most helpful. But so much of it depends on like how, how you think about it. Remember, the, the main point of this particular portion of your budget is to ensure that you have the money to be able to make home repairs when they're needed. And so if you start to use it for other things, you're starting to pull it, pull it for eating out or something like that, right? That would be completely yeah. outside of the scope of this. But let's say you start using funds from there to feed other areas of your life. You're quickly going to find those funds depleted and you're going to find yourself over a barrel, right? If you do have bigger home expenses come at you in the near future. That's right. You're going to be up the creek without a paddle mm -hmm. like our country friends who we don't have, like they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're, we're not Nashville types, man. <laughs> That's true. So, actually, since it sounds like you are a budgeter, 
if you find freedom, you know, within a budget and if it reduces the amount of stress in your life, I think that it, it might make sense for you to create a new category titled lawn and garden. And it, it does sound like it's more of a hobby for you. Uh, and so if that's the case, maybe it would be worthwhile for you to, to separate it out. For or you, you could even put it in a your hobbies category, right? Sure. You? Yeah, exactly. Add, I'll, you add know, an extra 50 bucks a month to your hobbies it, category. A hobby. This is a hobby that might increase the value of your house, that's you know, true. maybe more than other hobbies. Like what value does playing golf bring to <laughs> the, uh, your house when it comes to resale. Uh, but ultimately, like we want you to do whatever it is that you think is going to work for you. You know, like use whatever tools, use whatever methods that are going to allow you to spend your money in a purposeful, in a guilt-free way. That's also going to bring you the most life satisfaction. Uh, and I say this because, I mean, I'll, I'll loop back to us personally, because we actually literally did this a couple of years ago during the pandemic. We found ourselves at home a lot more. And so Kate and I, we were spending way more time out in the garden and we realized we were dropping a lot of money and we were completely pulling that money out of the house category. That's it's just what we called it, house. And we don't really call it housing maintenance or, or whatever. We just call it house. And so then we created, instead of a house category, a garden category. Because what we realized was that this was not a necessary expense. This was something we enjoyed doing. It, yeah, certainly is maybe boosting the curb appeal a little bit of the house, which might help when it comes time to, to sell your home. But we essentially found that we just needed to be honest with ourselves. And instead of seeing this as a necessary expense to realize that, you know what, we're doing this because of us. It allows us to spend time together outside. The kids are able to participate a little bit. And it was a way for us to stop basically fooling ourselves, which is, is essentially what we're doing by kind of siphoning some of those funds off of the fund that we would have used to like, yeah, like replace the roof, something like yeah. that. Yeah. No, I like the idea of separating them if that makes more the most sense for, for how you use it. And I like, Matt, too, that you kind of categorized it in a way and I think this is what Ashley is trying to do so she's not yeah pulling away from kind of one of those those budget categories that you're not excited to fund it's easier to pull money out of something like a, a boring old house fund and you're just like ah yeah I'll put this towards the gardening supplies and stuff like that the stuff that I get excited about and you might get used to that and you might pull too much out mm -hmm. and whereas if it's a separate category it's a joy to kind of fund that category and then it's a joy to spend the money down in that category yeah. and and I think you're right there's probably a level of honesty that comes alongside of that and so maybe that's uh, the best course of action here for Ashley Yeah. but as long as it's not just like too much to keep up with and you're not overburdening yourself and making your budget too taxing to keep up with there you go all right but let's move on to the next question uh matt let, this one does not come from the state of missouri sadly this one comes from the state of utah and this is from listener jordan who needs some advice when it comes to paying off medical debt hey guys this is jordan from salt lake utah i'm wondering about pulling out some money from a 401k to pay off some medical debt because of my wife's epilepsy we have about fifteen thousand dollars worth of medical debt and I have about $18,500 in a 401k from a company that I no longer work for. I'm wondering if it would be advisable to take that money out and to pay off that medical debt so that we no longer have any debt in that area whatsoever. We are currently only able to put about $100 towards that amount each month, which is basically doing nothing towards getting rid of it. So any advice on this would be great. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, Jordan, I am so sorry to hear about your wife's medical issues, uh, as well as the subsequent medical debt that you've accrued. And honestly, the reality is that medical debt, it plagues millions of folks around the country. Americans owe debt collectors more money in medical debt than any other kind of debt. It's the number one reason that folks uh, declare bankruptcy. And so I, th I think that's a major issue that not enough folks are talking about. So we appreciate you taking the time to send us your, your question. It's going to be widely applicable to lots of folks. Yeah, exactly. The answer here, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and by the way, $15,000, like that is a big chunk of change uh, to owe money on. And, you know, I see how it might be tempting to use your old 401k, you know, where you're going to empty that sucker out, you're going to wipe it out, you know, wipe out this debt completely. But that is also not a great solution either. You know, like you might owe tax and a penalty on the money that you're taking out if you're under the age of 59 and a half. Now, although because this, this would likely be considered a hardship withdrawal, you'll likely be able to avoid that additional 10% penalty. But still, you'd be you know, eradicating all of the investment dollars that you have, but by the way, at a time when the market isn't looking so great uh, and racking up uh, a tax bill as well. So, you know, I share that because like, that's not something we love. So we're not keen on you going this route, you know, even though that you're thinking this might provide you, provide you all some, some 
emotional relief from a financial standpoint, it, it does not make sense. That's right. Yeah. It seems like you're eradicating a problem, but you're creating another problem for you. You're creating a tax problem and a, a future you problem, right? You're creating a, a retirement account conundrum by eradicating this. Like, do you have any money left then? Save save for your future. And like you said, Matt, at, at a time when the market's down by a significant amount, you're compounding the issue. Yep. And, and so now, Jordan, you might be saying like, okay, guys, I, I hear that. So this is my one plan to pay off this medical debt. What in the world do I do? Because you just told me the one place where I can go grab all the money to pay off this debt that I shouldn't touch it. So how do I handle this situation? And so here's what we would suggest. We'd say contact the medical provider and ask to speak to what's known as a patient advocate. Because based on how hard it is for you to pay this payment plan, I can tell just based on your question, there's a strong likelihood that you might be uh, eligible to have your bill completely waived yeah. by the provider. Matt, I've had this happen multiple times. This happened after my middle child's birth. Based on our income at that point in time, we were able to have a significant amount of her birth costs completely forgiven because of the financial assistance programs that this that the hospital that where we had her offered. Yeah. And, and, and I, well, and you weren't broke, you know, like I think that's, that's right. the other thing to, that's worth mentioning. It's not it's, just for people who, who make below the poverty line. Ex- exactly. It's literally like, based on whatever definitions they have, you could qualify. So exactly. It, 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 like you don't, there's, there's no like emotional threshold where it's just like, well, I, I really feel like we're down and out. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, it, there's, there are clear dollar amounts and in income thresholds. And here. it's typically based on the AGI of your last tax return. Exactly. And, and many of these hospitals and providers have financial assistance information available on their websites. And oftentimes you can even find exactly how much you can make based on the size of your household and what percentage of financial assistance you can qualify based on that income. And if you can't find it on the site, I would say call the staff, ask questions about financial assistance, let them know you're unable to pay this bill even under the payment plan that they've created for you that it's too much of a hardship and that based on your income it's just not possible to do yeah yeah i mean jordan i I think it's important to mention that like you can no longer afford this we don't want you to just settle for a reduced payment you you want a massive chunk of this medical debt forgiven and so if, if that's kind of the position you're in i think you could really you could you could do a lot. You could knock a lot off by advocating for yourself. Yeah, in he this can way. make a case for this. I think. Yeah, and you know we should also also mention that suing this medical provider in, in small claims court, if the medical bill was out of line in the first place, uh, if it's you know far more expensive than than what most providers charge, that might be an option. You might have some legal recourse to do that. Uh, you might want to send a, a warning letter to the provider first, like something like where you just let them know 30 days in advance, just to give them that heads up, that notice of sorts. Yeah, they might before you plan to file in court. They might want to settle with you outside like, oh, wait, wait a second. Oh, this, this guy's serious. Jordan's serious. And you might be surprised at the flexibility that billing and collections has when it comes to you kind of stepping up the, yeah, the rhetoric. You might have been bit. getting the runaround and now they're like, mm-hmm. wait a second, <laughs> this guy, he's not playing games. And so we're going to give him a call. We're going to talk to exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. That, that might just give him that chance to proactively do something. Uh, and so I think it helps the, the judge to see that you've attempted to figure things out ahead of time, beforehand before taking this this medical provider to court. And so, you know, just keep that in mind as well. Yeah, for sure. And of course, it's hard. Like medical debt is a problem. Like there's no silver bullet solution. Th- these are the kind of problems, like you said, Matt, that are, uh, tens of millions of people in this country are, are faced with. And you shouldn't have to go to these lengths to get it fixed. But the truth is you do have to stand up for yourself. You've got to push back against this medical provider if you can't afford to pay. And we would suggest every How to Money listener go back and listen to episode 406 oh, yeah. with Marshall Allen about fighting back against high healthcare costs. And Marshall was a reporter for ProPublica, and he wrote a very detailed book about the methods you can take to push back against ridiculous healthcare costs in your own personal life. Exactly. And and especially post-treatment. So, uh, and Jordan, we're actually going to send you that book because we think it's such a powerful book. And based on your position, there's so much good insight that Marshall has in that book, we want you to have it on hand so you can reference it and so that you can use some of those tactics uh, in your own life to fight back against this medical debt. We don't want you to forsake your own retirement, to take that money out of this account and to hamstring your future in order to do so. So yeah, we'll reach out to you email. We'll get your address. We'll get that book out your way. Yeah. And that book is uh, never pay the first bill for everybody else out there who we won't be sending the book to, (laughs) but (laughs) it's worth, it's worth getting. Exactly. You'll have a a copy headed, heading your way. And, and one last thing you mentioned that this is an old 401k and instead of cashing that thing out, like, you know, we just recommend 
you not doing, roll that sucker over. This is a, a perfect opportunity for you to like kind of gathering all the, the chicks under one roof, essentially. <laughs> uh, we don't want there to be 401ks that are off floating out in the, the nether regions that you forget about. Especially if it's with a crappy company, like an insurance company mm-hmm. that's overcharging you. Overcharging and- you, and in particular, if they have subpar investing options. And specifically, this is where a company like Capitalize comes in. We've mentioned them before, but they are a company who will, for completely free, this is going to cost you nothing, but they will help you to roll over that old 401k to a new provider. That way you can more easily keep tabs on all of your different retirement accounts. And Joel, you've, you've actually got some personal experience with this. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. And the great thing, by the way, they, they help you roll it over to one of the low cost providers, our favorite providers oh, yeah. who charge uh, very little, who have like the funds that uh, with the best expense ratios. And and so, yeah, Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab is what we're mm-hmm. talking about. But yeah, I wrote an you, article. Well, you could transfer it over to some of the more expensive companies, but we just wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. Well, they mostly work <laughs> with the best companies. There, there are a couple other options that you have if you want to sure. roll over with Capitalize, but we're saying go with one of those three, y- yes, ideally. Yes, yes. But, but they have other ones that they work with too. But yeah, I wrote an article about it on the site. If you want to check out more about that, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. Joel, we've got two additional questions that we are going to get to during this episode, including one about, essentially, this is a success story from a listener who has gotten ahead by house hacking. I look forward to that question plus another right after this. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money you probably think it's too soon to join aarp right well let's take a minute to talk about it where do you see yourself in 15 years more specifically your career your health your social life What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're (laughs) You're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app 
Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Matt, we got a couple more questions to get to on today's Ask How to Money. We're going to get to one about how to save money while you're traveling abroad, specifically when it comes to foreign currency Mm -hmm. transactions. But first, let's get to that house hacking question you mentioned uh, right before the break. Hello, my name is Connor and I'm from Pittsburgh. I purchased a duplex in April 2020 as a house hack, and I lived there from May 2020 to November 2021, at which point my fiancé and I purchased a single-family home in the city. My duplex is fully rented, bringing in about $1,700 a month in rent with a mortgage payment of just $700 at 3.5% interest, and monthly utilities averaging to about $200. My rent is probably a bit on the low side considering, but my tenants are easy. One of my tenants wants to purchase the property at a price that would double the money I've put into it, and is probably $50,000 to $70,000 more than it's worth. Because of this, I'd net about $100,000 before taxes. I'm not against selling, since long-term I'd want to own properties closer to the city. For this reason, I'd be considering a 1031 exchange if I went through with the sale. I'd also opt to use a real estate attorney instead of an agent to avoid commission. Could you help me think through this decision and outline the process? Any advice for me would be much appreciated. Connor, way to go, man. House hacking, like even just for a little bit, that can be a complete game changer when it comes to your personal finances. You know, we, we, we say it all the time, but it's totally true. And we're just glad to hear <laughs> just how great this duplex has already been for you as an investment. This is like he's only had it for you know a couple of years now. Yeah. And you are already seeing how it's provided you with additional options. Yeah, we try not to talk like too, too much about real estate investing. This isn't a real estate investing podcast, but second question of this episode, at least. Yeah, but we do think it's a powerful tool for people to grow their wealth. And yep. so, and, and Matt and I, we do it ourselves. And so it is something that we're going to talk about from time to time on the show, of course. And people might be like, okay, the word house hacking, is so overused. But when you hear how powerful it can be in specific, specifically in Connor's situation, uh, you know, we've done multiple episodes on house hacking in particular. Totally. And it's such an incredible lever to be able to build wealth, to be able to lower your housing costs, which are one of the most expensive line items in your budget typically, that no wonder we talk about it as much as we do. We we feel like we have to. The ability to not only reduce that cost, but to maybe even break even. And then on top of that, if you are able to get ahead by house hacking, you're taking, it's like this judo move. Uh, I don't know, taekwondo? I think it's judo. It's like taking someone. You're taking like the momentum momentum of of an opponent, in this case, an expense, and you're turning it on its head, flipping it around and using it to your benefit. We love that approach. Again, that's why we talk about it so much. By the way, can we just talk about not raising rent for a second? Because Connor said uh, that he could probably make more on this property. But his tenants are easy. I think there's a lot to be said for not raising rents <laughs> when you've got great tenants like this. We are uh, we're, we're less enthusiastic about charging more when you've got folks who pay on time and they're easy to deal with and you know they take care of the place. That holds a lot more value than than quite literally rent seeking. Prices are you know they probably are going to be going up on on taxes. And when you have to make repairs, like that's going to cost you more as well. So definitely take that into consideration for you, Connor, as you've got this duplex or for other folks out there. But also, you know, don't feel the need to exactly mirror the market rent increases that we're seeing in the news. Personally, I I feel like I'm in a very similar boat as as Connor. I've got some great tenants. Literally, I've got one tenant who has been in a property for, I think she, like we're past year four now. And I know that I could charge a decent bit more, but you know what? She is fantastic. Always pays on time, doesn't ask much when it comes to repairs. I think there's a lot of stuff she kind of does on her own. It's basically a win-win scenario. Yeah, it's less work on on your part. I have a tenant too who I literally reached out to him via email like, hey, haven't heard from you in a while. Everything okay? And he's just like, 
yep, find it handy over here. And the first week, uh, he One moved in. One word response. Yep. <laughs> the first, Leave me alone, landlord. First week he moved in, he basically did a repair to the stove on his own. I was like, oh, hey, that's awesome. I'm happy to send someone out. I'm happy to, you know, get order the part, have it sent, whatever. And he's like, no, I got it. No big deal. Love and I was like, it. boom, guess who's not getting a rent increase? That guy. You, man, because you rock. <laughs> Let, let's talk about Connor's, the heart of his question. That's a great spread and a great interest rate he's got. And so- Make it like a, around 1000 every yeah. month, I so, think, so when you, when you have a good income producing rental property, like why would you want to sell it? That's that's like my first instinct. But we would say it might make sense to sell this duplex because the, the truth is I would probably take the deal that Connor is being offered, especially given the fact that he wants to do a 1031 exchange. He wants to buy another property with the proceeds. So, so he's not going to take the you know the the capital gains that he's realized and right. put that towards a tropical vacation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's really expensive. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't have to pay Uncle Sam on on this because a 1031 exchange mm-hmm. is this particular thing available to real estate investors where if you buy a property of like kind within a certain time period, we'll get to that in a second, it allows you then to basically swap investments. Yep. And so, um, yeah, if, you, if, if this is a win-win, allowing your tenant to buy this duplex while allowing you to cash out at a premium, well, then going this route could be great. It, and it sounds like you'll now be able to buy properties that are closer to you in the future, which is helpful if you plan on continuing to self-manage. Totally. The further away properties get, the more difficult it, it, be, it becomes to do that over time. And so if this is like kind of solving multiple problems for mm-hmm. you, allowing yep. you to bring that rental por- portfolio cr- closer to home and sell it at a pretty sweet price uh, while still avoiding the tax man, I feel like I feel like that's a great, great way to go. Yeah. I mean, in this way, it's, it's almost as if the IRS has your best interest at heart, right? Because they essentially want to see your capital, your equity within that property. They want it to remain within real estate. And so not only is this good from a tax perspective, because you can avoid those taxes, but it's good for you personally, because again, you're not taking that those capital gains, that money that you would get from that sale, those proceeds, and then just straight up consume it. You're keeping it in the market. Uh, and so when it comes to a 1031, you know, what is it that Connor needs to think about the two things that you need to get right are timing and the procedure. You know, you, you screw these two things up and you're going to get a, a big old tax bill on the sale. Uh, do it right, however, and you'll be able to make the swap tax free. Uh, and so the procedure part is that you need to make sure that the proceeds from the sale of that duplex are held in escrow by a third party. So you don't take a check from that sale and then, you know, deposit it into I bonds or, yeah. <laughs> or like a, a high yield savings account. You that screwed kind of the thing. pooch if you've done that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the two timing rules that you need to know are the 45 day rule and then the 180 day rule. Uh, and so the way that goes, you must identify the next property that you want to buy within 45 days of the sale of the, uh, the first pro- uh, property that you're unloading. You've got to designate that in writing to the intermediary who is holding your funds. Uh, and then you've got to close on that property, that new property within 180 days of the sale of your duplex as well. You do, do those two things right. Uh, and then you have yourself a 1031 exchange, baby. Yeah, you do. It's super smooth. But I, I, I think you're right, Matt. You got to boil it down to those two things and you got, you got to get the timing right. You basically have half a year to pull this off in total. Um, but if you don't hit those, th- those timing marks along the way, you could, like you said, have that big tax bill and a massive advantage though, that Connor has here is that he has a buyer waiting in the wings. Most oh, people yeah. who are doing this are, are listing their house on the market and they, and so the timing piece is harder to get right. But what's great about this is that it, there's more flexibility on the closing date of that duplex and all like since Connor already knows who the buyer is going to be. And he can probably work with them to ensure that it makes sense for his timeline. So yeah, a great strategy yeah. would be to start looking for the replacement property now before you've actually sold the duplex that you're relinquishing to your tenants. And once you have the new property under contract, then then you move forward with the sale of the duplex to ensure that you're within that 180-day window. Yeah. And, and yeah, you've got that tenant who's sitting there waiting. They obviously like the place. Right. And so they're not, they're probably not going to go anywhere. And so as long as you can come to terms about when maybe a range of time, like yeah. when that sale might happen, just so that you're not just dragging them along, I think that would be totally fair. And exactly. I think in the tenant's case, they would be more than happy to be like, all right, cool. Like if we can agree to this price, I'm willing to sit on my hands. I'll give you three, four months. Go for it. Exactly. Yeah. Take your time yeah. finding that maybe, new place. Maybe even longer. Like 
that's, right. that's what's so great about the position that Connor's in. Exactly. And and the truth is 1031 exchanges are this really cool tool for real estate investors. They can allow you to scale up while pushing that eventual tax burden further down the road. And so it sounds like Connor is using some more advanced real estate investing strategies, but one that's going to benefit him in a big way. And the yeah. cool thing is that his, his current renters are going to be able to take over and do the same thing basically that he did. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Connor, it's also worth mentioning though that you could just keep this duplex, <laughs> right? And just start saving up for your next rental property. Uh, you know, use that nice spread that you've got there to jumpstart your, your next down payment. You know, anyone who, listening who is just trying to scrape together their first down payment, like they would kill to have an additional $1,000 flowing in to help them buy that first house. Uh, and plus, you know, by selling, you'd be giving up a really low mortgage interest rate on that duplex that you may never be able to replicate again. Who knows where mortgage rates are going to be in the future, but I mean, the chances are that we're going to be able to get something uh, <laughs> anywhere near the range that folks were able to snag a year and a half ago uh, are... Probably next to none. Yeah, unlikely. Unlikely. But again, Connor, given the fact that you have a plan for this money, you've you know you want to buy additional investment properties. I think a 1031 exchange, it's a really cool tool that you can utilize in order to help you to essentially design and craft a life that you you want to lead. You know, maybe you don't want to go up to that wherever you used to live, up to that duplex to manage that property anymore. If you are looking to focus uh, on properties that are that are closer to you, it's not only about the best rates and where you're going to see the best spread. You may not be able to see a spread like that anytime soon with uh, a property that you might buy here in the near future. But life is more than just the you know the spread. What it is that you can earn is not just about the numbers. Yeah, for sure. But I, you know, I have a feeling that based on his experience in real estate and his knowledge already, that he's going to be able to land another property that makes him money every single month. Yep. And hopefully makes his lifestyle that management of that property a little bit easier too, because it's a lot closer to him. So all right, Matt. Let's let's get to one last question for this episode. This one comes from a listener who wants to know whether he was frugal or cheap exchanging money overseas. Hey guys, Joe Nugent here from Frankfurt, Michigan. Got a frugal or cheap for you. I recently traveled to Greece and Europe with 10 of my family members for about two weeks. We went through a currency exchange issue. We were at the airport exchanging our U.S. dollars to euros, and we had pooled all of our money, so it was close to $3,000 in cash uh, at the airport. And we'd handed over all the money, uh, and they'd already counted everything out, and they told us the exchange rate was going to be $1.22 per euro. And I knew it was supposed to be more like one-to-one, -one, so it would have ended up costing us about $550 out of this 3000 but I stopped the transaction at the very end and told them we wanted our money back because uh, that seemed like the terrible exchange rate to me. Uh, so long story short, we ended up getting our money exchanged in Athens, Greece, just at a money lender downtown, and they gave us a 1.03 exchange rate. So it only cost us like 90 bucks on the $3,000 to exchange so anyway, just wanted to know if that was frugal or cheap of me to stop the transaction after they'd already counted everything out uh, and then go and find a, a better rate elsewhere. Thanks, guys. Love the show. And if you're ever in Frankfurt, Michigan, we got a great uh, microbrewery called Stormcloud Brewing. Uh, they make some great beer. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for your question, Joe. Uh, we hope you had a, a blast on your trip. And by the way, I feel like we've heard of Stormcloud. I don't know if that's a... It a, rings a bell. Does that ring a bell? I don't know if I've ever had may, a beer. But maybe it's a specific... Not, beer that is called storm cloud perhaps i, I do not know uh but Joe, it's just a storm cloud i saw in the sky the other day and you're like beer uh <laughs> i i see beer in the sky sometimes <laughs> looks like a six-pack up my there. kids see like bunny rabbits and stuff <laughs> I, I see beer beer mugs you see what is on your mind um joe you were not being cheap i'm gonna go ahead and cut to the chase i think this was definitely a frugal move uh you were about to get ripped off uh, on that exchange rate. And I think most folks would actually have just been like, ah, okay. Whether it be like the norms of not wanting just to stop something that you've already started or just, I don't know, pure laziness. I think a lot of folks just would have kind of gone along For with sure. the transaction. But it's actually so much easier to get an, uh, a great exchange right now. Uh, and the, the truth is you can actually pay even less than $90 to exchange that $3,000 into local currency. We will get to that in a second. Um, but first off, we want to mention that 
taking a load of bills <laughs> of whatever currency in an effort to physically exchange them once you get to your destination abroad, that comes with a lot of hazards. Uh, that is not something we want to see a lot of folks doing. You know, no. like we, we don't want you jet setting with that much cash on hand. We don't want you to be a target. Exactly. While you're traveling abroad. Because you never know, let's say you forget to exchange at the airport and even at the airport, like you never know what could happen, dropping money, misplacing it, or, and there's pickpockets, right? In, in all sorts of places. So if you're carrying a lot of cash on your person, there's a lot of risk. You're putting yourself at a lot of risk and that money at risk. But I like that you said, Matt, he could do even better than this, right? So I think yeah. I think he was frugal, not cheap, but the reality is, Joe, you could be even more frugal. And so let's talk about- I think that was time well spent to go out there in the yes. city and to find somebody who's only charging three cents on the dollar or yes. whatever it was. Well, let's talk about how he can do it even better next time and how our listeners can can do foreign currency exchange even more effectively in the future and and the best way to exchange money while paying next to nothing is to use credit cards mm. and, and many of the top travel cards we have an article on our site about the best travel cards uh, for you come with a zero percent foreign transaction fee attached to them so every time you're using your card overseas it means that you're not carrying a bunch of cash on your person which is safer but you're also not paying a dime in fees when you're making that purchase which is pretty sweet. And, and so snagging something like, let's say the Chase Sapphire Preferred before you go on your next vacation would be smart. And the cool thing is NerdWallet, they did a bunch of research on this, but the credit card company rates are basically on par with market exchange rates. So not only are you paying a 0% fee, but you're also getting you know, pretty much the best, uh, the closest to the best exchange rate on the market at the same time at the mm -hmm. moment you're swiping your card. So credit cards just make travel, obviously, a whole lot easier. They make uh, safety a whole lot better. I feel like credit cards are just the most effective way for people to travel overseas, avoiding all the fees, avoiding exchange rate uh, conundrums. They've just made it easier for all of us to travel when we want, where we want, and avoiding hassle at the same time. Exactly. Basically, the credit card companies are undercutting all of the other currency exchangers out there because they're saying, we want to get all the business and we're willing to race you to the bottom. Yeah. That's what they've done. And uh, one other thing that's worth noting as well, sometimes when you're abroad, the proprietor of a shop or a business, they will ask you if you want to pay in US dollars versus the local currency there. Uh, when presented with that question, always answer no, because like, it, so it might be nice, right? To see how many dollars you're, you're spending versus trying to do that conversion in your head for rep record keeping purposes. But there's a significant chance that you're going to end up with a, a vastly inferior exchange rate if you go that route. Basically, they're able to calculate the current exchange rate and then tack on a few yeah. because they're able to pocket the difference. Just uh, for the pleasure of seeing the transaction in US dollars, <laughs> you're paying additional money um, to make it easier on your eyes. Exactly. Uh, and so if in those instances, always select to have the transaction performed in the local currency, wherever you are, because that's going to be much closer to the actual market rate. You're going to pay the least amount that way. And let's let's just give one more thing for all of our listeners to explore, to think about, Matt. Let's say people want cash on hand, right? For shopping in the market, stuff of that nature. Sometimes having cash, at least some cash on your person is helpful when you're traveling abroad. And the credit card doesn't necessarily solve the conundrum, although makes, credit makes cards- you feel more like a local. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, although credit cards are, are much more widely accepted. And so I think- it, for most people, it's going to get you 90, 95% of the way there. But many debit cards also offer a 0% foreign transaction rate too. I've had a bank account, Matt, with Discover for a long time. Part of the reason is because they offer competitive savings rates and great customer service, all that stuff. But I also love that they don't charge any foreign transaction fee on their debit card. I don't really use a debit card almost ever. Like, Basically, I cannot think of the last time I pulled out my debit card. Yeah, I can't think I of the last time. don't even carry it around with me in my wallet anymore. Probably the last time I pulled mine out was somewhere overseas. The last time I went on a, on a trip uh, yeah. to another country because that's what they're best at. And and a lot of banks are going to charge you 2 to 3% every time you want to pull money out of an ATM while you're on a trip. But I like that Discover charges you nothing for doing it. Capital One is another bank, Capital One 360, that, that charges you nothing for, uh, when it comes to foreign transaction fees. Often they'll help you find an ATM via their app that doesn't charge any fees either. So you can get cash out of the ATM when you need it, carrying less cash on your person at all times. Love and still, it. still you're getting that awesome uh, exchange rate and you're not paying any fees to get the, to, to get the money that's yours. Exactly. And 
honestly, all this exchange talk has helped me to realize that it's been a minute since I've been overseas because yeah. I can't remember the last time I held foreign currency in my hand trying to make a transaction or something. It's been like a while. That. It's been a while for me too. Not only with the pandemic, but again, you know, just stage of life and you got a bunch of kids, you don't do a whole lot of travel abroad. We need to uh, remedy that soon though. Well, the kids are get, starting to get a little bit older, so hopefully that's something we can take care of soon. Yeah. We need to do a couple's trip is what we need to do. Yeah, we do. That's definitely something I feel like we've been missing in our lives. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm glad that Joe, next time he goes abroad, he's not going to pay even 90 bucks to get the cash that he needs for, for that trip. And hopefully everyone else out there can travel fee-free <laughs> next time they go to their next destination. Yeah, you can spend that extra 90 bucks on euros. Not on euros, but like <laughs> euros. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like lamb meat and whatnot. That's right. Uh, let's go ahead and shift gears, get back to the beer, Joel, that you and I enjoyed during this episode. This one is called Treblad. You said Treblad before. There's only one O. Yeah. But I think I know what you're, why you're saying that, because the, the illustration for like this, this beer, yeah, there's a guy laying on the ground, and he's basically drinking directly from a tap that's in a tree. Uh, this is a, looks like imperial stout brewed with maple and coffee. What were your thoughts on this delicious beer, my friend? Yeah, this one had mostly dark chocolate vibes mm-hmm. and a lot of coffee coming through. The maple syrup was just like a touch of sweetness to round it out. Yeah. And it wasn't a lot of that. Some, some maple syrup beers are just like really too sweet. This one had... Hit you over the top of the head with it. Yeah, just that little little note thrown in there. So, I mean, I like McKellar beers so, so good. And this one, I felt like we had to drink this on today's episode because... Oh, the it's vampire. Halloween. Yeah, you know, that's right. Feels... Happy Halloween, everybody. We didn't we didn't say anything about We're that idiots. at the beginning We're of the idiots. episode. We missed an opportunity <laughs> to connect with people emotionally. You did a good job teasing, but you didn't even mention everyone's favorite holiday of the year. I know. Well, yeah, I know I'm looking forward to going trick-or-treating tonight with my kiddos. And this, this beer kind of gets me in the mood because it looks like, yeah, a vampire. Totally. Uh, on the, uh, and so if you want to see the uh, the can art for this beer, you can follow us on Instagram over at How to Money Pod, and you can see all the lovely beers that we get to drink on the show. But this one was a really good one. Yeah, super roasty, nice, toasty, roasty, stout notes. This is the kind of beer that you want to drink more of during some of these fall and upcoming winter months. But Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. We will link to any of the resources we may have mentioned during this episode up in our show notes on the website at howtomoney.com. And that is also where you will find our new credit card tool. Just go to howtomoney.com forward slash credit cards. If you happen to be, if if you're like, oh yeah, no, I am going to be traveling uh, abroad here soon go head over there and there's a little slider and under foreign transaction fee you can filter the results so that you only see the best cards out there that charge you absolutely nothing while making purchases abroad yeah this new tool is a game changer yeah helping people choose the the credit card that's it's best killer. for them so easily yeah. so yeah check that out all right matt that's going to do it for this episode until next time best friends out best friends out There's a shortcut to platinum status at Shell. To saving 10 cents per gallon on every fill every day. Just fill up six times with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline and it's yours. Plus, you'll rejuvenate your engine. Get ready to level up performance, rewards, and savings. With continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors, platinum status is earned with 12 fill-ups over three months, 10-gallon minimum per fill-up at participating Shell locations. Terms apply. Visit fuelrewards.com status. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.